we have been in a conversation. We're actually going to wrap up our conversation today uh, from uh, the this this idea that the prophet Micah um, uh, brought up in uh, or, or reveals in his uh, in his uh, book of prophecy. Uh, in in Micah chapter six, the prophet. Um, uh, records this dialogue between the personified nation of Israel, uh, which is kind of brought to its uh, knees realizing how how uh, much trouble it is in before God. And uh, the, the the nation asks the prophet, what should we do? How do we get out of this? What Do we, do we offer God sacrifices? Um, is there some ritual we can perform? What do we have to do to, to get square with God? And the prophet answers saying, he's told you what is good, and uh, what the Lord, what does the Lord require of you but to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God? So that's that's been our key scripture for the last couple of weeks. And what we've seen over the last few weeks is that these three things uh, uh, to do to do justice is 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 important and it's good, but it's not it's not something you can really like. Justice is kind of a cool and calculating sort of thing. That's why it's illustrated with scales because you're weighing things and trying to find what the right thing is to do. It's hard to, it's hard to really enjoy justice. But kindness is different. Kindness is warm and cuddly. Kindness makes your heart uh, pound a little harder. It gives you a lump in the back of your throat. And so we've seen it's easier to love kindness. So, so what we've seen is that we do justice because we must. We love kindness because we can. And what I would argue and what I think we're going to see today is that we've really saved the best for last because the best of all is to walk humbly with God. And and uh that may seem strange. If you've ever been humiliated, if you've ever if you've ever been put down, if somebody has ever cut you um uh, verbally or or you know metaphorically somehow, if they have cut you down to size, humiliation is not fun. It's not fun to be humiliated. But that's not what the prophet's talking about. He doesn't say, be humiliated. Uh, to be humiliated is to be humbled uh, by somebody with the goal of inflicting pain. And God would not humble you in that way, as we'll see. Uh, rather, he says, he says to be humbled, to understand that you are not God and that God is bigger than you, to get an appreciation of your, your, your position relative to God. Um, I think a lot of us, have a pretty small God. We, we want to have a small God who is, who's there in the case of an emergency, right? If I go to the doctor and the doctor says you're dying, then it's good to have God. You know, I'll bust God out and, you know, at that point I'll have God. But most of the time I kind of cruise through life, you know, you know, I, I'm, I, I got this God. You know, I'm pretty well in charge of my own life and I'm, I'm kind of cruising along. And, and I don't really need God, but you know, it's, it's handy to know that God's there if I need Him. And that is the opposite of walking humbly with God. That is, that is trusting in yourself. And so what we're going to see today is Jesus is going to talk about two people, one of whom trusts in themselves and one of whom walks humbly with God. And, and what we're going to see is it's a lot better to be the person who walks humbly with God. So, so uh, what we're going to do is look at uh, this, this uh, parable from chapter uh, 9. It says, He, Jesus, also told... Chapter chapter 18, verse 9. He, Jesus, also told this parable. Now, a parable is a story. This may or may not be based on true events. We know that Jesus had... One of his disciples was a tax collector, so this could be based on actual events. We don't know, but 
But it's a parable. Jesus is telling a parable about these two men who went up to pray. And he says, two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. And unfortunately, we know who we're going to root for. And we have the wrong thing in our head because we've been listening to this parable um, for 2,000 years. We know who the good guy is. We know who the bad guy is. And we get it exactly wrong. When when Jesus told this parable, when he said Pharisee, people kind of groaned and thought, I wish I could be like them. And when he said tax collector, they hissed and booed, okay, because the tax collectors were the bad people. Pharisees, uh, you know, we, we, we have filtered the, the word Pharisee through 2,000 years of tradition about how they, they kind of missed the point. But what the, the, the sect of the Pharisees was, was a lay movement within Judaism. It started about 200 years before the time of Christ. And what it was, was people who looked around, they looked at the state of affairs in their world and in, in their community, and they said, you know, we've got a problem. And the problem is that we don't take our role as God's special people seriously. God has given us um, a commandments. He's told us what he wants us to do, and we haven't taken it seriously. So what they said is, we're going to start. It was a lay movement. It wasn't it wasn't an official program of the, the Jewish religion. It was just people who looked around and said, we need to change the way we behave. And so what they did is they read through the scriptures, they read, and, and they said, um, uh, here's what we can figure out. And they found about 600. I've seen, I've seen one uh, measure that said 619. Somebody else says 635. Whichever it was, um, I have not personally counted them. But, but they, they went through and they found all the do's and all the don'ts. And they said, there's 600 and something of these things, and we're going to do them all. We're going to learn them, and then we're going to do them. And then they said, you know what? Here's the problem. Some of them have gray areas. We're not sure how exactly we can obey this, so let's go beyond the letter of the law. Let's do more than the law requires to make sure we're doing what God meant when he gave us this command. So, so for example, uh, the the scripture says, to fast in in the Mosaic law in the Torah the old the first five books of the Old Testament it says you should have a fast once a year there's a, a mandatory fast everybody in Israel is supposed to stop and have a fast for one day now later on after the the some events had occurred in the life of of Israel some of the rulers of Israel said we should fast we should have a special fast day and God honors that God says that's a good idea. This would be a good thing based on your circumstances right now. And they wound up having four, or a total of four fasts that the scriptures either mandated or God approved of four fasts for, for the life of Israel. And the Pharisees said, you know, we should probably do more than that. To show God that we're serious about, about our faith, we should fast weekly. In fact, we'll fast twice a week. And so that's that's the kind of thinking the Pharisees uh, did. It's not that they were bad people who wanted to make other people look bad. They said, no, we need to be serious about what God wants, or or take tithing. Um, you know, before before we mock the Pharisees and say, you know, totally missed the point. You know, we need to understand where they came from on the subject of tithing. The scriptures call people to give a tenth of what they've got to God, to the purposes of God. And by the way, the New Testament never corrects that, never says, oh, that's wrong, you don't have to do that. What it actually says is that's kind of a good starting place, but you're free to go beyond a tithe. So before you mock the Pharisees, you might say to yourself, where am I with respect to tithing? And what the Pharisees did is they said, okay, a tithe is a tenth. So if I've got, if I've got a flock of goats, 
or a herd of goats, whatever you have, a herd of goats. Um, if I've got a herd of goats and this year I get 10 baby goats, what I will do is I'll give one of those goats or the value of one of those goats in the market, I'll give that as my tithe. So I've had that much increase and so I will tithe that amount. Or if I've got chickens and they lay eggs, I'll do the same thing. I'll give a tenth of that, uh, of the value of that. I will tithe that. But then the Pharisee said, well, you know, that, that brings up a, a question. If I'm in the market and I'm, I'm, I've sold my eggs and I've tithed those, but now I buy some, some spices, I buy some mint or some dill, something in the market, I don't know if the person who sold it to me tithed on it or not. And now it's mine and I'm responsible for it. I'm going to tie that too. So what they did is they said, look, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna argue over, you know, percentages here and there. I'm gonna tithe everything. And so, so that's kind of the mentality of the Pharisees. So it's not that they were like deliberately trying to put people down. It was that they were really trying to take their faith seriously. So that's who the Pharisees were. Now the tax collectors, again, we hear tax collectors because in the scriptures tax collectors come through so so well, one of our gospel accounts, Matthew, is written by a tax collector. So tax collectors come off very well in Scripture. But to hear this, as Jesus' audience would have heard it, we need to understand tax collectors are swindlers. They're also collaborating with the foreign occupying government, which we wouldn't like either. But especially, they're swindlers. The way that the tax collector, collect, the way the tax system worked in a Roman colony or a Roman um, uh, province was Rome figured out how much this area would be worth. They would say, okay, the Jewel Lake and Strawberry Road franchise is worth about this much. And they'd put it out for bid. And then you would bid for the concession. I'm going to have the tax collection uh, uh, concession here at this corner because there's a lot of traffic. I can collect tolls from people going in, in you know, on a, on a major street. So I will bid on that. And you give the money to Rome and then now you've got the concession, and your job is to squeeze that tax money back out of it. So whenever people go by, they've got a they've got a herd of goats. You say, "I want my goat." Um, they've got a, a flock of chickens. You say, "I want my chicken." Whatever it is, you're squeezing tolls out of people based on what the value of of what they've got. You put it at the edge of a wharf, and you get all the fish that come in. You get a chance to exercise the toll there. So so that's what they did. But because they've already paid their money to Rome. Now their job is to make a profit. So what they would do is they would squeeze people, not just for the tax, but maybe a little bit extra for themselves. And if people squawked, well, there's two Roman soldiers standing behind the, the, the tax collector, and their job is to keep people from squawking. And so people put up with it, but they hated the tax collectors. So when Jesus says two people went up to the temple to pray, everybody in the audience goes, yeah, those Pharisees, they're pretty good. You know, they're, I wish I could be like that. That's not me. I, I can't do that. But, but, um, certainly that's who God's going to listen to, especially if the alternative is a tax collector, because we all know about tax collectors. That's the scenario Jesus sets up. An obviously reverent and holy person versus a really bad criminal. And so what do they do? He says, he says, the Pharisee standing by himself was praying thus. God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and they did. I give a tithe not just on the stuff I'm responsible for, but for other stuff too. I give a tithe of all my income. So Jesus will go on in a moment to say that God does not justify him. God does not 
hear this prayer. And the reason for that isn't because there's anything wrong with thanking God. The problem here is that he doesn't thank God. He uses the word thank you as as an introduction to to get God's attention so then he can begin to list all the wonderful things about God. If we look at actual prayers of thanksgiving in the scriptures, and I, I've got some, the first the first prayer of thanksgiving we see in the Psalms, for example, is in Psalm 7. It says, I will give to the Lord the thanks due to his righteousness and sing praise to the name of the Lord the Most High. So he says, I will give thanks to the Lord for his righteousness. Where is that? There's no sign of that. He's saying, thank you, God. I'm so wonderful. Thank you, God. I'm so awesome. Thank you, God. Look how great I am. This is not a, thank, a prayer of thanksgiving. The uh, two, two Psalms later, Psalm 9, it says, I will give thanks to the Lord with my, my whole heart. I will tell of your wonderful deeds. If this was a real prayer of thanksgiving, he would say, thank you, God, for giving us your wonderful law. Psalm 19 talks about how wonderful the law is. He says, thank you that I know what I'm supposed to do. Thank you for helping me see what it is that makes a person righteous. Thank you, God, for giving me clarity, giving me purpose, giving me um, more than I need, right? I'm able to tie the tenth of all I've got because I've got more than I need. I'm not living hand to mouth. I can actually give you a tenth of what I've got because you've given me more than I need. That would be a prayer of thanksgiving. Thank you, God, for the things you've done. But instead he says, thank you, God, look how wonderful I am. So it's not a prayer of thanksgiving. Now compare that to the prayer of the Pharisee. The Pharisee, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. He asks something of God. The first person tells God something. He says, God, look how great I am. The Pharisee asks something of God. He, uh, the, the tax collector asks. He says, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus says, he goes home justified. So the question is, which one are you? See, it's not just Pharisees and tax collectors. It says he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves. And that's the real question. Is that us? Do we trust in ourselves? Do we keep God in our back pocket, you know, break break out in the event of an emergency? Or do we depend on God to get through our day, to get through our week? That's the real question. What are you leaning on God to enable you to do? Because if the answer isn't much, then maybe you're trusting in yourself. The the writer C.S. Lewis identifies this this problem that the Pharisee is dealing with as pride. He says this is ultimately the ultimate sin, that there are there are other sins, but that the worst of all the sins is pride. And and that's what uh, Christians have have um, theologians tell us has always been the problem. And he writes this. If you haven't read the book Mere Christianity, it's a little thin book, and I just encourage it. I cannot I cannot encourage it enough, in fact. It's an it's a great book. But he talks about pride and he says this. He says, um, we must not think pride is something God forbids because he's offended by it, as if humility is something he demands as due to his own dignity, as if God himself were proud. God isn't worried about his dignity. The point is he wants you to know him, he wants you to give him, he wants to give you himself, and he and you are two things of such a different kind that if you really get in touch with him, 
if you are actually able to relate to God in any way, then you will in fact be humble, delightedly humble, feeling the infinite relief of having for once got rid of all the silly nonsense about your own dignity that's made you restless and unhappy all your life. Picture that Pharisee. He says, God, look how wonderful I am. Now, imagine if you could, instead of talking to the Pharisee, if you could talk to his wife or his kids or his co-workers, would they say how wonderful he was? Maybe. Maybe not. He seems to think that he has to has to be impressive to people. So what C.S. Lewis continues, he says, he says, uh, you'll feel the infinite relief of having once gotten rid of this. God is trying to make you humble in order to make this moment possible. Trying to take off a lot of silly, ugly, fancy dress in which we've got ourselves up and are strutting about like the little idiots we are. I wish I, he writes, had gotten a little bit further with humility myself. If I had, I could probably tell you more about the relief and comfort of taking the fancy dress off, getting rid of the false self with all of its look at me and aren't I a good boy with all of its posing and posturing. To get even near it, even for a moment, is like a drink of cold water to a man in the desert. So what are you leaning on God God for? What what do you need God's help to accomplish? Because if the answer is not much, then you're probably prideful. And what C.S. Lewis says is there is a drink of cold water available to you as you humble yourself before God. How do you do that? The best way to know what to do is to look at Jesus as our example. And what we see in the life of Christ is he humbles himself perfectly. We see we see Jesus uh, this way. In, in Philippians it says, Let the same mind be in you that was in Christ Jesus, who emptied himself, taking the form of a slave. And being found in human form, he humbled himself, and therefore God highly exalted him. This is the picture of what Jesus did. Jesus tells his disciples, Whoever wishes to be first among you must be slave of all. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then, besides just telling people, he also acts. Uh, The day before he was arrested, the um, the night of his arrest, uh, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Jesus illustrates humility. And we find in Scripture that it is because of that that God raised him, that God exalted him. And so I wonder about the, the Pharisee. Uh, if he is conceited, if he is arrogant, if he is confident in his own salvation, his own righteousness, I wonder... Could he have held on to that if he had gotten to the temple earlier that day and greeted people in the parking lot and helped them find a parking spot? If he had served the people? If if he taught the tax collector's children in Sunday school, could he have been as conceited, as arrogant as he was? Suppose he stayed after in the temple and helped arrange things and clean the, the, the sanctuary back up afterwards. Or maybe if he got to, to the temple early and brewed coffee. Or maybe if he came to the temple on uh, the middle of the week and helped organize the food pantry or helped hand out food to people who came to the food pantry. See, the lesson for us is the cure for pride 
the way to get to humility is through service. Jesus shows us that in his own life, and he commends it to us. So if you are not leaning on God, if you are not leaning on God to get to your weak, then you may be prideful. And the best solution is service. I will close with this thought. A lot of us have people in our lives that we wish had a relationship with Jesus. Uh, A friend or a family member, somebody at work, uh, somebody at home, somebody who used to be at home. And and we we look at them and our heart bleeds for them because we, we wish that they could have the kind of relationship that we have or maybe even a better relationship than we have with Jesus. And we wish we could get them to church and they won't come. They they just have no use for church. Um, maybe it's because they, they've got questions in their mind. They think that, you know, the whole God thing, I'm not sure what I think about that or maybe I'm pretty pretty darn sure that it doesn't make any sense to me. And and so they won't come to church. But I think oftentimes it's not because of some intellectual uh, question about God. It's because they've been to church and they've been hurt. They've been the tax collector. And they encountered a Pharisee who looked down on them and said, God, I thank you I'm not like that person. And so my prayer for, for not just our church, but really for every church is that if we're going to minister to people in the name of Christ, that what they will find when they come here, when they come to this church or any other church, is they will find a bunch of tax collectors, people who say, yeah, me too. Be merciful to me, God, because I'm a sinner. Instead of saying, thank you, God, I'm not like that guy over there. And then to expand that, how about us as a congregation? Are we self-satisfied? What are we as a congregation leaning on? Or are we pretty well, do we pretty well have it, have it figured out? Have we got it all worked out? And, you know, we'll bust God out if we need Him in an emergency, but, but really pretty much we kind of coast along from week to week, you know, and we manage in our own strength pretty well. The, the question I've got for, for our congregation is, is we are, are we open to God's correction, God's, God's fixing us to make us more like the congregation He wants us to be? Because it's not just a question for individuals, it's a question for, for, communities of faith as they gather together, what is it that God would have us learn? What is it that we as a congregation need to lean on God to do? Because the question works for both of us. If we are, as individuals or as a congregation, handling it pretty well by ourselves, we're not walking humbly with God. But if we lean into God, if we do the things that only God can make us do, And in particular, if we serve others, then we will be walking humbly with God. And he promises that those who humble themselves will be exalted. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've told us what's good, to do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with you. We pray, Lord, you would help us to know how we can do exactly that. Help us to see the places where we're we're saying, no, we've got this. We don't need you. Um, you, you take care of the galaxies, we'll take care of this. Help us to see those places, Lord. Help us to change our hearts. Help us to find ways we can serve so that we can be humble as Jesus was humbled. And we pray, Lord, you would lift us up as you see us humble ourselves. We pray all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen.